Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, when you say yes to others, make sure you aren't saying no to yourself. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things, godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 991st broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, our chat board, uh, and so forth, Facebook, and all of those ways to talk to us. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's happening? What are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, how do I overcome peer pressure? And our theme text is found in Exodus chapter 23, verse 2. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. So again, the question, how do I overcome peer pressure? And this is one in a series of the how do I type of questions, very practical. So today it's about peer pressure. When we say those words, we typically think about teenagers, school, and bad decisions, and those thoughts are accurate. Young people face inordinate amounts of peer pressure on a regular basis, and its effects can absolutely be devastating. Now, here's the thing. Adults are also subject to peer pressure, in, uh, and its place in our lives and its effect on our lives is far greater than we might anticipate. So, for the sake of not only our young people, but for our own sake as well, what do we do about it? How do we recognize, address, and deal with the pressures of life that press us into compromised circumstances and bad decisions? Even more importantly, how do we reverse the process and create an environment in which positive, righteous, and loving peer pressure is the order of the day? And so, folks, this is a really down-to-earth, practical uh, experience in today's podcast about dealing with peer pressure, whether you're 13 years old or 93 years old. We all have to deal with peer pressure. And folks... And Rick, it, it hits us everywhere we go. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It's everywhere, and it's pretty much all the time. We just don't realize it. Now, folks, it's always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. And don't forget to join our chat board. Simply go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. 
chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. All right, ChristianQuestions.com. Click Listen Live. You can listen right there from the website, and you can join in with the chat if you'd like to do that. So, Jonathan, let's get started with this subject of peer pressure, dealing with it. How do we deal with it? What should we do? What shouldn't we do? And so forth. We're going to go to... um, a, a YouTube series done by the Behavioral Science Guys. These, these guys are really good. They're very, very uh, easy to listen to, and they're obviously uh, both very well educated in terms of behavioral science. And this one specific uh, video presentation we're going to be highlighting today is it's called One Simple Skill to Overcome Peer Pressure. So this is kind of an introduction to their discussing peer pressure. Let's listen in. What if we told you that you could get people to say and do things that they didn't agree with? Sounds good. To agree to things that they knew were wrong. Like it. And in the process, lower the quality of their lives and the lives of others around them, sometimes even catastrophically so. All right, now you got me. It sounds terrifying, doesn't it? But the fact of the matter is, it happens every day. In fact, you do it every day, and you're subject to it every day. The best way to understand a phenomenon like this is to try to recreate it in a laboratory. What we're about to show you is a very simple experiment inspired by renowned social psychologist Solomon Ash, and it will reveal this shockingly common form of mind control. And really what they're talking about is peer pressure. That's what they're talking about when they call or talk about mind control. So we're going to look at peer pressure, and you think peer pressure uh, in a lot of ways we'll look at it as somewhat of a modern phenomenon. You know, like, wow, you know, that's something that's come about, you know, with teenagers growing up and through the pressures that they have. And the, Not so. Not even remotely close. Peer pressure has always been there. And it's really interesting. God addressed peer pressure specifically. Now, he didn't call it peer pressure, but he addressed it specifically from the very beginning of the nation of Israel's independence. Once they were freed from slavery in Egypt, they were, they, you know, went across the Red Sea and all of that, and they were given the law. This is some of the things that God said to them in Exodus 23. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump to verses 6 and 7. You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be malicious witness. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. So it says several things here. You know, you don't bear a false report. And everybody says, yeah, yeah, I get that part. But, you know, verse 2 starts with, you shall not follow the masses in doing evil. Notice, you shall not follow the many in doing something that is wrong. There's a big warning there. Isn't, Why is it there? Right. Isn't that, isn't that the, 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 the core of what peer pressure is? Being sucked into to feeling like you have to follow even though you know it's not going down the right road? Absolutely. So back in the establishment of Israel as a nation, one of the things God told them was, don't do that. And I think that is really amazing how he brings that out right at the very beginning. So, Jonathan, as we go through the subject of dealing with peer pressure, how do I overcome peer pressure? We're going to be talking about a lot of pressure points, a lot of points at which, which the pressure of life can get to us. And then periodically, we're going to talk about pressure relief valves. You know, when you have a, 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 a closed system of plumbing or steam, you need a relief valve in case the pressure gets too big. 
<laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you need to be able to relieve the pressure to keep it at a manageable level. Level. So we want to discuss a lot of pressure points, areas where peer pressure comes into play in scriptures and then apply it to today. And then what can we do to relieve that pressure? And then at the end of each segment, what we want to do is talk specifically to the young people in the audience. So folks, maybe maybe you're not that young, but maybe you have kids or grandkids or whomever. You want them to hear this because it can really be helpful in just putting things in order. So the first pressure point, Jonathan, based on the scripture we just read, what is it? Following along with the flow of many is a natural and potentially harmful action. And Rick, it is easier to go with the flow than to stand alone against the fray. It is. It is much easier, and it's much more convenient, but it's much more disastrous. That's right. Okay, so that's the first pressure point. Very simple. So let's go now to Exodus 23, verse 6 and 7. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. So it's interesting the way the, those two verses start at verse six, it says, and Jonathan, this is a really powerful point that again, this could be an entire podcast. You shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. So what they're saying is when you have someone who is unfortunate in their cir- life circumstances, they're poor for lack of a better way to describe it. Right. You, you, sh- you shouldn't feel more sorry for them than the person battling against them? Is that what it's saying? If they are in a dispute, they should be treated exactly equally to the other individual. With honesty and truth. Right. Not saying, oh, well, they're poor, they're unfortunate, let's bend the law in their direction. Ah. But rather saying, let's make sure that we keep justice, justice. And folks, I'll tell you, again, we're not going to get into this, but in our world today, we have fallen prey to saying, well, justice doesn't really apply because this person's unfortunate. Not the way justice is meant to work. And that's why we have such a mess in our world. But that's a different subject. <laughs> what's, the, sure. yeah, what, what, what's the pressure point here from, from that? Our attachment to helping the needy can pervert our sense of appropriate action. See, we get attached to helping the needy, and that's a good thing, but do not let it pervert appropriate action. So now we've got two pressure points following the flow and attachment for those who are needy, and both of those things can get us off track. What's the pressure relief valve to, to, to counter those two points? Well, Rick, it's be upright, clear, and fair in your thinking and actions, even if your feelings may be guiding you in a different way. And Rick, in in some, it's harder than others based on how emotional uh, you are, uh, which means it takes a lot more work for some than others. Right, because sometimes our feelings are so strong, they override yes. our better sense. But, yeah. but the, the pressure relief valve is, look, you, you know, be clear and fair in your thinking. And, and that's an easy thing to say. But just like you said, it's a hard, hard thing to do. So this is a foundation principle. We've got to get into a lot more detail here. While this is a foundation principle, like you said, it's easier said than done. Let's look at a New Testament example of somebody who absolutely knew better to stand above the fray of peer pressure, but fell to it anyway. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. And this is about the apostle Peter 
falling prey to the pressure of social expectations from certain Christians. But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. So what it's saying is that when certain distinguished uh, Jews came along, they uh, were they, and, and they felt that the law still had a place in Christianity. And, you know, that was a big debate in those days. Peter succumbed to deserting those who came from a non-Jewish background and hanging out with just the ones who came from a Jewish background and started acting Jewish again, for lack of a better way to describe it. But, Rick, these men were sent from Jerusalem. Wow, that Jesus, you know, was there. That's where Christianity began. That's where it all came together. So shouldn't you respect them? Highly? You should respect them highly, but it doesn't mean you do what they do, <laughs> okay? You know, that's the point. That's what happens with peer pressure, and they get things get blown out of proportion. So what was the pressure point that Peter had to deal with here? Peter caved in to the presence of those who had been dignified Jews under the law. He caved in to their status, and status was his downfall. Verse 13 in Galatians 2. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the results that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So the result of Peter caving in, because he was so well respected and rightfully so, was his hypocrisy, and that's what it's called, was, uh, was con contaminated many of the Christians around him. And it created a really difficult situation. So what's the pressure point on? Go ahead. And then well, the pressure point. Right before that. Now, change takes time. Yeah. All right. We all understand that with maturity and immaturity. Peter should have known better, but he didn't. But then others followed through with, with his mistake. Yeah, they were wrong. They were definitely wrong. But in the Christian walk, each of us changes and grows at different time periods. And we have to learn the lessons from our mistakes, just like Peter does here. And sometimes we, it takes time, and sometimes we fall on our face a lot. Yes. That's no excuse for staying there flat on your face. But That's get right. up and learn to deal with it. So now, uh, verse 14. Uh, Peter's peer pressure uh, example oh, right. is, Peter's example was a powerful influence for inappropriate compromise. Okay, powerful influence for the wrong thing. So what happens? Paul has to do something about it. Verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he calls Peter's hypocrisy to his face to set the record straight. So there's a strong voice that counteracts that. So what's the pressure relief valve here? The courage of a strong and righteous voice can change the tide. Remember that thought. We are beginning with the end in mind. You know, Stephen Covey wrote a book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the seven habits is to begin with the end in mind. The end in mind is a strong voice. We're beginning with that because we're going to come back around to that later on. So, Jonathan, let's for the next two minutes or so, let's change our focus. We want to focus on the young people in the audience. And this, this next soundbite is really... 
built toward young people. It's from How to Stand Up to Peer Pressure from JW.org. Very, very well stated uh, on, on how to deal with such things. Whether you're in school or not, you're probably under a lot of pressure. Not just from all the studying and those piles of homework, but pressure from other kids. Pressure to have sex or cheat. Or maybe it's to smoke or take drugs. Of course, you know what they want you to do is bad. But at times, you may feel like you're missing out if you don't join them. You're not alone. Since the world began, young people have been dealing with peer pressure. But it doesn't mean you have to give in. The Bible has some good advice. Exodus 23.2 tells us not to just follow after the crowd. In other words, don't do something just because everyone else is doing it. Instead, be your own person. How do you get the strength to stand up to peer pressure? Here are four steps that can help. And we're going to go through those four steps for the rest of the uh, podcast. But, uh, you know, he mentioned Exodus 23.2, which was our theme scripture. We've already touched on it in a big way. James 1, 5 through 8, specifically for our young people, because sometimes you, you, you know better, but you're, you're not sure what to do. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right. So now, Jonathan, I'm just going to take the pressure relief valve here because we're out of time for the segment. The pressure relief valve is make God's wisdom your guide through faith, faithful prayer and focus. And look, to say that to a young person is like, yeah, right. How do you do that? Well, that's the foundation. That's the basis. That's what we want to get to. The question is, how do we get there? And that's what the rest of the podcast is really built around is, how do you get to the point where you make God's wisdom your guide through faithful prayer and focus? So, in, in, in this first segment, seeing the Apostle Peter fall to peer pressure really makes you think. It does. So let's think personally. Just how easy is it for someone, anyone, to become an unknowing victim of peer pressure? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. So if we're, we're to begin consciously observing our environment and interactions, we would most likely be amazed at how often we're exposed to peer pressure. It comes in a myriad of different ways that range from utterly subtle to normal exchanges to blatantly overt. Any expression of peer pressure, the bad kind of peer pressure that is, is a direct challenge to our integrity. And Jonathan, I think we need to take that specific thought and make it fit. Any expression of the bad kind of peer pressure, peer pressure that wants to push you down the wrong road, is a direct challenge to your integrity. So whether you are, again, 13 or 93, the point is we all have integrity that we should be working on in our, in our daily lives the, as best as we can. How important is that integrity to you? 
And when you are pressed with pressure, what are you going to do? Because it's your integrity that's actually on the line. So let's go back to the, uh, the behavioral science guys. Because remember they said there's four simple steps and they're going to explain this little test that they do. Now, yes. they're doing it on a video. So we're going to have to fill in a little bit of the gaps in terms of explaining the test. But it's really a very revealing uh, situation that they're un unfolding here. So let's listen to uh, the test that they're going to be talking about. We sat seven teenagers around a table and asked each in turn to answer a very simple question. Which of the three lines does this object match in length? Now, it was obviously line C. Now, here's the intervention, the trick we're testing with this experiment. The first teenagers are confederates. They're in on it. And they were instructed to give the wrong answer, A. This answer was so obviously wrong. But what would the actual person who was not in on it the one the experiment was designed to observe, what would they say? Okay, so they show them two posters, one with three different lines of different lengths labeled um, A, B, and C, and then another poster with one line with a specific length. And it's really obvious which one matches. And it's line C in the first poster. The question is, which matches? So six of the seven are going to give the wrong answer on purpose to see what happens to the seventh person. And the answer is obvious. So let's sort of put that in the background and we're gonna come back around that. And you know how it's gonna work out. And it's fascinating, but watch how it develops and, and the points that they draw from it because that's where, where we can get to some really good learning here. Jonathan, we wanna do a lot of the scriptural learning tonight uh, by way of personal example in scripture. So we're gonna look at Gideon. Now remember, Gideon was a... Was a, was a, a um, a, a, a military hero in Israel. That's right. But before he was a military hero, he actually was confronted with peer pressure and had to stand up to it. So Gideon, before his days as this mighty military leader, found strength to stand against peer pressure, but in a very unique kind of way. Judges chapter 6 is where we're going. Uh, we're going to be jumping around verses because there's a, a lot of story you want to condense into, condense into a short period of time. We're going to start with Judges 6.1, then we're going to jump to Judges 11, 6, 11 through 13 um, for this first part of the reading. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midian seven years. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? So Gideon is, now first of all, he's beating out wheat in the wine press. He's hiding because the Midianites, because Israel was, was doing evil in God's sight, were taking all of their, their grain. So he is beating out the wheat in the wine press to give it to the people. So he's doing a good thing. Okay, but he's doing it and he's hiding while he's doing it so he can get away with that. Okay, to, to take care of the people. So Gideon was doing the right kinds of things. An angel came to him and basically said, oh, great warrior, you know, God is with you. Gideon's response is, well, wait, if God is with us, how come we're in such a bad way? All right. So, you know, there's this sense of, of, of question, 
but there's also a sense of great integrity on the part of Gideon here. So he was chosen to right the wrongs. His character was strong and his faith was still intact. So here's what happens. Here's what he's instructed to do. We're in Judges chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. Now, on that same night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And because he was too afraid of his father's household and of the men in the city to do it by day, he did it by night. Okay, so we need to fill in a few gaps here. So the angel of the Lord tells him there is an altar to Baal. This is about as idolatrous as you can get in ancient Israel. And it's built on your father's land. It says it's your father's altar. Well, it was built on his land. There's really some question as to whether it was his father's, but it was built on his land. And you get the sense that the pressure of society pushed his father to a point where he allowed it to to be put there. Now, we don't know a lot about his father. We'll get to his father in a few minutes here. But uh, so there's this, there's this altar, and the angel of the Lord says, tear it down. Tear it down and tear down the grove of trees by it, okay, which is used as a, an idolatrous place. It's called the Asherah. And I want you to make sacrifices to God, you know, uh, with the wood from, from those trees. I want you to start to put things right. Now, Gideon is afraid, and he's right to be afraid because the pressure of everybody doing one thing and him standing against it was too much. But he wasn't too afraid to act. But he was too afraid to do it in broad daylight. So he did the next best thing. He took 10 of his men, and by the cover of darkness, they went and did what the angel had said. And you give him a lot of credit because he did the right thing, even though it was a fearful thing to do. He stood against the peer pressure. So, so what, what was the pressure point here in this experience of Gideon? Well, Rick, all of Israel was idolatrous, and that created fear of consequences for any rebel. Now, it's interesting that in Israel, you talk about somebody who's doing the will of God as a rebel, <laughs> right? Right. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So in looking at the doing of the will of God and being considered a rebel, you see the context in which Gideon was forced to operate. Doesn't that remind you of our, our world today? It does. Where someone who is going to do the will of God is looked upon as being a rebel and a hater and a this and a that and a the other fanatic. thing. <laughs> yes. So the peer pressure was very real and it was very powerful in Gideon's day because you were going up against an established idolatrous practice amongst God's own chosen people, and you were doing it knowing that you were going to cause great havoc. So why would you do it? Because the angel of God told you to. So you're doing the right thing under very adverse conditions. That is, that is peer pressure being looked in the face, and he does it quietly. He does it at night. And you think, it's pretty cool. He got the job done. He wasn't ready to draw attention to himself. 
but the job got done. And, and folks, that's the important part of this particular story. The job got done. So what happens afterwards? The next day, the men of the city are going to wake up, and they're going to see something is not the way they thought it should be, and they're going to get just a little bit angry here. We're to Judges 6, and we're just going to look at verses 28 to 31. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down, and the Asherah, which was beside it, was cut down. And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has torn down the altar of Baal. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because someone has torn down his altar. So an interesting thing happens. The men of the city come out, and they're angry because they have become real idolatrous Baal worshipers. And they, they trace the action to Gideon. So they go to Joash, his father, and said, look, essentially, and I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing here, that altar was on your property, and your son destroyed our altar on your property. You turn him over to us because we're going to kill him. We will not tolerate somebody tearing this down. Now think about it. These are God's chosen people telling this to Joash. Joash doesn't quite have the courage of Gideon because he doesn't necessarily disagree with them, but he doesn't really agree with them either. So you've got to give him credit. He's not as courageous as Gideon, but you notice what he says. He says, look, are you going to contend? Are you going to argue for Baal? If Baal has a problem having this altar destroyed, let Baal come and, and talk to us about it. Let Baal get, make his own arguments if he's such a great god. He says, just because somebody tore, tore down his altar. So he's kind of, he's diverting attention, but he's not agreeing with the wrong, and he's not giving up his son. So he's kind of he's walking. trying to protect his son. You're yeah. right. So Absolutely. He's, he's walking a little bit of a gray area because the pressure yes, is, is too much. And, and that's what peer pressure is. It gets to be too much for us. But so, so with Gideon, you know, going back to what Gideon specifically and purposefully did himself, what was the pressure relief valve that we can take from his actions? Not the actions of his father, but from his actions. When we are too afraid to make a public statement, making it more quietly will work. The key is making the statement. And so, Jonathan, it doesn't always, especially if it's too much for us. You know, you said earlier that sometimes, depending on your emotional state, it's really hard to combat the things that you're facing. Absolutely. Sometimes we're not able within ourselves to stand up and make that statement but the key is not whether you make it you know in a big grandiose fashion the key is just somehow making it that's a start and, and i love the beginning how you brought out rick because that's to protect our integrity yes to do the right thing it doesn't have to be loud and boisterous right but but you stood for truth for righteousness because you're right Peer pressure is about personal integrity. And I really think that we need to, to, to focus in on that point again and again and again. It's an attack on your integrity. And if your integrity is important to you, you will therefore be wanting to be on the alert against things like peer pressure. So, Jonathan, for the rest of this segment, in the next three or four minutes, let's focus on the young people again. Let's focus on teenagers 
dealing with the immense pressures that they have. Now, remember in the how to stand up to peer pressure video, uh, uh, they said that, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's some things that you, you need to learn how to, how to manage. So here's the first thing to watch out for in that particular video from JW.org. First, keep on the lookout for moral dangers and identify any situations where you might be pressured to do something wrong. If you see trouble coming your way, don't walk right into it. Find another route and avoid the problem. You know, and there's such great wisdom in that simple, simple uh, uh, piece of advice. Watch out for moral dangers. If something is morally wrong, that's got to be that thing that, 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 that keys into your head and says, wait a minute. You know, like the old Lost in Space movie on, that was on TV, uh, television series, Danger, Will Robinson, Danger. <laughs> you know, you got to have that voice in your head. I'm dating myself. I'm sorry, but yeah, <laughs> oh that, well. That, that, wasn't that black and white, Rick? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Major point. <laughs> but you know, have to have that voice that says, this is morally wrong. I have to, and just be alert. So what, what's the pressure point here? Because youth rages with hormone-filled desire for belonging and satisfaction, every young person is a prime target for peer, peer pressure's tidal wave of seductive emotions. See, emotions can seduce us into doing, saying, or being part of something that's not appropriate. So when we see moral danger, we need to be able to stand up and say, look, I mean, the classic saying comes to mind, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 and then 18 through 20, say exactly the same thing in Bible talk, if you will. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, look, for a young person, you know, it's, it's not likely they're going to be begotten by the Spirit at, at a very, very young age. But it doesn't mean that the principles of righteousness should not mean any less. If it's wrong, you want to learn to be able to run away from it. Why? Because it's wrong. It's not kind of wrong. It's not, well, maybe it could be right if. It's wrong. And so when you run across those things, it comes down to how am I going to stand up and be counted in relationship to my own integrity? Now look, again, for a young person, integrity might be a hard thing to get your head around. And so parents, our job is to teach them what integrity is by giving them examples and then by being a person of great, deep, and profound integrity. And by teaching them that, they can begin to understand it. What's the, what's the pressure relief valve here? Well, Rick, be well armed and prepared for the inevitable battle, but not only rehearsing what is right and wrong, but why things are right and wrong. And again, that's a parental addition to this whole thing. A lot of times as parents, especially in this age, we look at it and we say, well, you know what, you know, look, you know, junior, don't do this or that because, you know, it's not a good thing. And if we stop at that and just tell them, no, it's not going to sink in. 
if you show them the the results of of drug addiction or tobacco use or premarital sex or whatever it is, you show them results that can be heartbreaking and physically damaging and emotionally. Right. Then they can begin to see the why. And if they can see the why, they'll more easily remember the what. So, look, big moral issues are glaring examples of places that we need to watch our step. It is a starting point. National idolatry and peer pressure is as big as it gets. How about a smaller, more practical example? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. And as we mentioned before, peer pressure comes in all shapes and sizes. Next, let's look at peer pressure in the context of the development of the early Christian church. Now that's a format that's much closer to our own personal reality. Their challenges were new because Christianity was new. And yet, those very same challenges still present themselves to us here today. The exact same challenges still exist. And you say, well, shouldn't we have learned by them? Well, yeah, but peer pressure doesn't go away just because you learn about it. See, that's the thing. Just because you learn and maybe you stand up to it doesn't mean it's gone. It's going to come back again in a slightly different form, at a slightly different time, under slightly different circumstance, and we have to learn to deal with such things. So let's go to a very, very, I think, a very classic New Testament example, and we're going to need to lay a little bit of groundwork at the beginning here. So let's go to Acts chapter 18, verses 23, uh, I'm sorry, 24 through 28, but let's just start with verse 24 to, to begin with. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scriptures. Okay, Apollos. You know, you read about Apollos in the New Testament, but you don't really know too much about him. So let's take a moment, Jonathan. Let's go to one of the commentators. Let's go to McGee on this and just get some sense on who Apollos was, what his background was. Apollos, Alexandrian in North Africa, followed by Alexander the Great, was one of the great centers of Greek culture. A great university was there, and it had one of the finest libraries in the world. It was there that a Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, was made. So Alexandria is where Apollos came from, and he was a Jew from Alexandria. He was incredibly well-educated. He had access to some of the greatest learning that was available in the entire world at that time. And he was intelligent, and he was Jewish, and he understood Old Testament prophecy. So this is the guy who comes and begins to understand about Jesus Christ. And what does he do? Let's go to Acts chapter 18, verses 25, uh, 25 through 28, but I'm going to, you know, here we go. I'm going to interrupt you a lot. <laughs> All right. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. Okay, so here we need to explain what's going on here because Apollos is talking about Jesus. And it says he's speaking, he's fervent in spirit. He is zealous and passionate 
about what he's saying. And he says he's teaching accurately about Jesus. But then it goes on to say, but he's only acquainted with the baptism of John. So that tells you that he's speaking accurately about Jesus, but he doesn't know the whole story. He, he just doesn't know the rest. But he knows that Jesus came as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So when it says he's speaking accurately about Jesus, that's what it means. He can see Jesus as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy from his great Jewish education, and he is, and he is making an effect on many, many people around him because he really gets it. So here he is. He's teaching, but he's teaching in an incomplete message. What happens? But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So he was met with those who said, look, and again, a lot of paraphrasing, we really appreciate your grasp of the scriptures and the role that Jesus plays. Let's finish the story now. Here's the part you don't know. So they explained to him the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They explained to him, undoubtedly they explained to him about the spirit, about the baptism of Jesus versus the baptism of John. The baptism to sacrifice versus the baptism of just repentance. The baptism of a footstep follower versus the baptism of just trying to get your life right. And now he's got it. And so now what happens next? And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jew in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So now he continues, and it says that now he's becoming popular amongst the Christians of that area. And they're saying, hey, come and help us, come and help us. And see, now he knows the rest of the story. And so now he goes and he's preaching, and it says he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, was the Messiah, was the chosen one. And so you have this eloquent, powerful, educated, articulate speaker. And Jonathan, when you have somebody who is powerful and educated and articulate and eloquent and, and, and has got passion, that's an attractive figure to want to follow. Oh, absolutely, Rick. And that's what happened. Many of the Christians began to sort of flock around Apollos, say, wow, this, he really has got it. And he did. He really did know the scriptures and he did understand it. And that was all good. But they latched on to him. And this created sort of like a sub-movement within Christianity that really, really, really didn't belong. So um, Apollos was a powerful, again, powerful, zealous, educated, eloquent speaker. His heart and zeal were well-placed. And I have no doubt of that because the Apostle Paul relies on him. So he's not trying to attract a crowd to him. He's trying to witness. But his very presence because he was so talented and so educated and so well-versed and so, such a great communicator. His very presence was misconstrued. It ended up becoming a catalyst for divisions amongst the, 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 uh, the Christians of the early church. That's a problem. Because <laughs> Christians are not supposed to be divided. They're supposed to be together. What's the pressure point here? Well, Rick, sometimes we find someone who touches our heart and we end up forming ranks around them in an unhealthy way. And we've got to look at this, Jonathan, and realize how easy this is to do. You like the teaching, the style, and the reasoning of a specific individual. 
good. That's there for your benefit. But now are you taking that individual and placing them on a pedestal? Because if you are, you're wrong. And Rick, no one's perfect. And we've already seen in his Christian walk that he made mistakes along the way. Right. Just like all of us do. Right. And the beautiful thing about Apollos is he saw the mistake, he corrected the mistake, and it became even more valuable. But with the greater value came the greater challenge as his natural abilities drew individuals to him in an unhealthy way, and that created real problems within Christianity. Well, Rick, with all these pressure points and pressure relief valves, to remember them, what I recommend everyone do is go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register uh, for this wonderful outline. It's full of graphics, illustrations, and it is going to show you point by point the things that we need to do to fight this, this villain of peer pressure that can just grab us and take us round, down the wrong path. Absolutely. CQ Rewind, the full edition, it is a free service. If you don't like it, you can just, with a click of a button, opt out and nobody will bother you again. So try that out. So, so Jonathan, the pressure point then that we've described as a result of the discussion of who Apollos was and, and, and what was happening. Uh, actually, um, I, I think I already read it. Oh, oh you uh, did? Sometimes we, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, we're ready for that that next soundbite. Okay, think. there you go. See, he's way ahead of me. The pressure point, see, it's too much pressure for me, Jonathan. Sometimes <laughs> I crack. What am I supposed to do, you know? <laughs> okay, you find someone who touches your heart, and then we, and, and we create an unhealthy uh, admiration. Within Christianity, we have to be so careful with that. So, Let's go back to the behavioral science guys, and you know he, they're going through this experiment and the things that are happening in the experiment. Remember, it was the three lines, A, B, and C, and line C is the correct answer because it matches the same size as in the other, as in the other, uh, on the other page. So let's see what happens next. Any questions? A. He gave the obviously wrong answer. <laughs> what a pushover. Well, a pushover, but in good company. The surprise here is he's not the exception. He's the rule. About two-thirds of any group, independent of age, goes along. Regardless of gender, background, most of us are suckers. Social influence is a potent power. So here we have a textbook example of this deceptively simple form of mind control. We got these teenagers to consciously ignore what they knew to be right. And we could have gotten two-thirds of you, remember. So don't think you're above it. Oh, not at all. And and that last line is so important. We could have gotten two-thirds of any social group to go along with the wrong answer. Why? Because everybody else is giving the wrong answer and you're thinking as and, and you know, imagine what this kid is thinking as he's sitting there and you know you have to see the video to really appreciate it but he's sitting there watching people giving the wrong answer and you see his face is like what what no and then you start to think well maybe maybe i didn't see it right maybe this is a trick question maybe 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 and so instead of saying what you really believe in you just go along because it's just like, I don't want to be the only one that says C. Everybody else says A. Why would I want to? And, and you rationalize your way out of your own answer that is based on your own integrity. And that's what happens. And it, just because it was teenagers doesn't mean it doesn't happen to us. You're right, Rick. You're right. So <laughs> this in many ways is peer pressure at its best. Okay, you know, 
And you know, we're looking now. Let's go back to to Apollos. Okay, we're we're looking at Apollos, and uh, when you have peer pressure at its best, and in the early church, it was the divisiveness that happened around him. The divisiveness also happened around the Apostle Paul. It also happened around the Apostle Peter. They didn't create it, but by their positions, it was created because of human imperfection. So what do you do about it? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle Paul looks it square in the eye and deals with it very specifically. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? So he is telling them, and in another place in 1 Corinthians, he also says, I, you know, you're saying I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, well, I'm of Christ, and, either, and some are even saying, well, I'm of Peter. So he's saying, you guys are you're off, you're wrong, you're babies. That's what he calls them. He says, you're, you should be grown up and mature, but you are acting like babies, so I can only feed you milk because that's what babies can handle. So the, what, what's the pressure point? Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, right before that, remember the the powerful saying that the Apostle Paul told us, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. Right. Not follow me because I'm the man. Yeah. No. Watch my example because I'm trying my best to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Well, you know, and, and another point on that is, is Jesus could easily have said, follow me because I'm the man because he was appointed to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So he had a reason to be able to say that, but he knew that wasn't the right thing to do. And so you're right. He tried to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And it's really, you're following Christ. It's not me. And here he says, you are acting like just regular human beings. Shame on you. What's the pressure point? Divisiveness caused by inordinate attachment to this leader or that one puts our focus on establishing and protecting our peer group's legitimacy instead of on the gospel. All right. So what happens is we get so tied up in protecting our little group that now it becomes about protecting our group and not about the gospel. So our focus gets blown up. And this happens within Christianity all the time. Let's continue with Paul's reasoning in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So he's saying, look, it's not about Apollos. It's not about me. It's not about anybody. It's about God's will and God's way through the gospel, period. What's the pressure relief valve here that the apostle brings us? A strong voice of perspective. Paul was unequivocal in his assessment. All is from God, and we are mere instruments. So, get over yourself. <laughs> exactly. Get over yourselves and focus on the bigger picture. Focus on the integrity of what it means to actually be a Christian. He's being forceful. He's being forthright here. Okay, let's take that. Let's pause. Let's go back to the young people now. The second point 
from how to stand up to peer pressure from JW.org in terms of young people. The first point was, you know, be aware of things that are morally wrong. Here's the second point. The second step. Stop and take the time to think. Think about the consequences before you give in to peer pressure. In Proverbs 14:15, the Bible says, "Smart people watch their step." So don't just jump in and do what others say. That may be hard to do if you're trying to fit in. But that's the time to use your imagination. How will I feel later if I give in? What might be the outcome? How might my actions affect others that care about me the most? So, Jonathan, it's a matter of stop and think. And again, for a teenager, that's hard to do. Okay? It is. But a parent's responsibility is to teach their child how to stop and think. Now, for some kids, it's a lot easier to learn than for others. I can testify to that from raising my own three children, and uh, they were at varying degrees of the stop and think. Uh, you know, my son never stopped, never thought, just did. <laughs> got into a lot of trouble and learned a lot of things as a result of all of that trouble. But, you know, the, the point is we have to teach them what the long-term consequences are. And a great way to do that is to say, how are you going to feel later? And maybe not only just later, but for the rest of your life as a result of this peer pressure decision. And that's part of parenting. What's the pressure point for a young person here? Well, Rick, peer pressure speeds up the feeling of needing to urgently comply. That's one of the biggest challenges. It speeds up the feeling. It makes the feeling more intense. And you feel like, I have to do it right here, right now, because I don't know what else to do. And we have to learn to back away from that. Proverbs 14, 15 through 16. The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. Okay. The sensible man considers his steps. Teach our young people to stop and think. Just give it a thought. Maybe have a phrase that comes to mind, a small, quick, easy catchphrase to help you put it in perspective. So the pressure relief valve is... Stop. Think. It only takes a moment to remind yourself of what's important. And that's the key. It only takes just a moment to remind yourself. So parents, those are the things that we have to teach our children to take that little moment to have it have power in their lives. So look, we've talked about national idolatry and spiritual fellowship problems. Peer pressure is everywhere. It is. Now let's go even further. How do we handle a peer pressure situation where there may be life and death consequences? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. So while our last example was perhaps peer pressure at its best, this next example is peer pressure at its most broad-based level of consequences. When the pressure has to do with the physical well-being of others, we come to a whole new level of responsibility. 
Here we find the truly difficult challenge of fear, of fear causing a very real potential to be unable to truly listen. And Jonathan, again, fear is a subject for another day because it's such a big thing in our lives. But when fear comes upon us, it, 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 it yanks from us our ability to see things clearly. And we have to learn to deal with such things. We have a, a tremendous example of that, again, with Israel. Uh, as they're, Now remember, God had promised them. That he, he had a, a promised land for them. Remember? And you know, we, we, the previous example was they, they wouldn't comply. That's right. Okay. And it's a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, let's look forward to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so now we're going to say, here is where Israel comes right up on, right up to the land flowing with milk and honey. And they have the opportunity to have that land and to take it and, and, and to, to make it their own because God brought them there. Let's go to Numbers 13, verses 17 to 33. And again, selected verses in the interest of time. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, He said to them, see what the land is like and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness. Okay, so Moses said, we got find out, find out what it is that we're dealing with, what we're up against and so forth. So 12 spies went out, okay? All 12 spies would see the same things. But the question is, they would all see the same things, but what did they see? What did they see that they would report back? Cuz it's not what you physically see. It's what you observe within your own mind and what settles in that you report back, that's where the rubber actually meets the road here. So now the 12 spies are going to come back, and here's what happens. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us, And it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. So they come back with this glowing report in some ways about, wow, this land is really, really a wonderful land, and here's what the fruit looks like and so forth. But they say, nevertheless, the people are strong, the cities are fortified, uh, and you know this is a big, big challenge. That's what they're saying. What happened there is fear was instilled in the people. And where fear is, peer pressure cannot be far behind. See, fear paves the road for peer pressure to make its ugly presence felt and at home. And that's what happens. Once you feel fear, it's hard to see anything else. So what's the pressure point here? Well, Rick, fear, fear of harm, fear of failure, fear of exclusion, Fear feeds peer pressure. It does. Whatever the kind of fear, harm, failure, exclusion. And look, that goes for people of all ages, teenagers included. And a lot of times in, in that, in, in, with, especially with young people, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, fear is the biggest reason you fall to peer pressure because you're just afraid not to. And again, folks, parenting demands that we teach our children what those consequences are ahead of time in such a way to say, 
your integrity is more important than that moment. And to be able to help them understand that. Adults need that same lesson, obviously, as with this particular story. So fear, uh, what fear feeds peer pressure in a big, big way. So let's go back to the behavioral science guys. Remember now, you had the, the test being done, and you had the answer obvious, but all of the plants in the audience were giving the wrong answer, and the person who is being tested is giving the wrong answer right along with them. Here is where they change it up a little bit in terms of, uh, of one of the people, one of the people who know what the experiment is and they're participating, they're going to sh- show them how to do something just a little bit different. Let's listen, because this is where things can turn. In real life, think of how many smart people have made stupid decisions because social forces overwhelm their better judgment. There are benefits to following the crowd. Relying on group wisdom is cognitively efficient. And often cognitively superior. We are social learners and derive great benefit by leaning on the judgment of others. Even when a subject spoke their mind, it was torture to do it. Watch this girl's face. Social influence is a powerful thing. See? So the question becomes, can we get more of the benefits and fewer of the costs? What if we replayed the same scenario with the teenagers and added one person, just one, who expresses polite doubt to the crowd? I I guess I saw it different because it looks like it was seeing me. Maybe I saw it differently, but I think it's seeing. See? Where are you? See? 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 Astounding! 95% now express their true opinions. So the interesting thing is what they do is they plant somebody in that group. You know, they've got several that they're testing now. They plant somebody in that group that politely disagrees. I guess I saw it differently. I thought the answer was C. You know, so he's not, they're they're not disagreeing saying, oh, you guys are stupid. Can't you see what's on the paper? It's a polite disagreement. And just by making that little stand, just by, by, by breaking the pattern, the people that followed them said, okay, I can, I can stand up for that polite disagreement because that's the way I saw it. I don't know what those people are talking about. I saw C. So it really is powerful. That little voice, that polite disagreement made a huge change. Doesn't always work out that way, though, does it? But how about us? Yeah, well, and right. We- with holding integrity at a high level, cause a change to do proper things, good, right. And see, holding integrity at a high level doesn't mean that you demand. doesn't mean no. that you ridicule. It doesn't no. mean that you, you come down on those around you. That It can be done with a polite disagreement, gently putting out what you believe to be true and right and honest and just and godly. And that is where you can make the greatest difference. It's, a, it's an incredible thought when you think about it. Now, let's look at some c- polite disagreement in the situation with Israel coming to the land of Canaan, and the 12 spies came back, and 10 of them spoke against trying to take the land. And then Caleb, Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies that were in, f- in favor of it. Here's what happens when he comes to speak. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. 
So Caleb says, no, we should take it. And you know, it's interesting that Caleb's comment is so very, very short. And I'm wondering if his comment was interrupted, you know, overridden by the fear of the others, you know, with all the things that they were saying and feeling. So what's the pressure point here? Fear cuts off and ignores the reasoning of those who would challenge it. Okay. When we have fear, we ignore reasoning. And that's a problem. And again, integrity has to outweigh fear. But it won't unless you are focused on it. Caleb was focused on it. He was overridden by the people around him. So we go a little further. We go to Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 10. And again, selected verses here in the interest of time. Uh, What happens next? Because now we have to hear from Joshua, the other spy who saw it differently. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So you think about this. (laughs) Folks, if you can see Jonathan's face, he's like, You're kidding me. What? How do you get there? Fear, that's how you get there. Peer pressure, that's how you get there. We're being leaned upon. Fear spreads, and with it, the peer pressure to obey that fear, and the fear then becomes irrationality. And they're saying, oh, that we would have died in the land of Egypt. Yeah, I mean, think as about slaves. it. As right. slaves. Right. As slaves. Right. You wanted to go back to that? And then they say, oh, that we would have died in the wilderness. It turns out, Jonathan, that's what was going to happen to them. That was kind of prophetic, wasn't it? Yeah, in a very sad, sad, backwards way. Yes, it was. So let's finish the Joshua uh, um, part of this, uh, his input on this. Joshua and Caleb, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out has an exceeding good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. So Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron were all about, look, God will deliver us. He's delivered us so many times already. Don't you remember that? And they spoke in vain because the people would not, would not, would not listen. But they gave them opportunity by being a voice. So what's the pressure relief valve here? And then we've got a comment from Trish after that. All right, Rick, powerful big picture perspective. See the challenge through God's eyes. Okay. You want to see the challenge through God's eyes. Big picture perspective. We can get that if we are willing to think it through and put things in order. Okay, Trish, you've got a comment, question? Yeah, comment, question, and you can fit it in somewhere if you think it's appropriate. But I'm listening, as I'm listening to you talking about what well, is a parent, it's our, the parent's job, responsibility to teach kids, etc. So here's my question. Um, can you frame this from God's perspective as our parent and all of humanity as his kids? He's responsible to teach us how to make good choices and be not be pressured by the evil and the unrighteousness of this world. So how does that work? All right, that's a that's a good question. That's a that's a tough question because I think that it's got a two tiered answer to it. 
uh, because God is not dealing directly with every human being right here, right now. But for those of us who he is dealing with, because remember, he's going to deal with every human being in the next age, in the resurrection, every human being who's ever lived gets that opportunity. But for now, it's the called out ones, those who know better. And God is giving us opportunity, and he is teaching us. Sometimes we don't listen. Every kid doesn't listen to their parent. Sometimes we as Christians don't listen to our parent, God, and we suffer the consequences. But he gives us everything we need to be able to overcome the peer pressure. He really does. So we'll, we'll expand that as we go talk to, uh, to the uh, the teenagers in the audience uh, for the next few minutes. So let's go to the JW.org, how to stand up to peer pressure. What was the third step? Remember, the first step is to recognize uh, moral uh, uh, challenges. The second step was to, uh, what was the second step? Oh, to stop and think. So now what's the third step? Step three, you need to plan ahead. Proverbs 24.5 says that a person who has knowledge increases his power. If you know exactly why you're saying no to something, why something is bad, it can give you the strength to say no. Okay, plan ahead. If you know why something's bad, it gives you the strength to plan ahead. You've got to be able to, to look ahead to plan ahead. But we are not in a world that does that, Jonathan. We're in a world that likes things instantly, aren't we? We are, Absolutely. <laughs> like Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on both Instagram and Twitter. We have lots of exciting things happening, including, Rick, Trivia Tuesday, featuring a not very well-known fact about the Bible. And then there's Thankful Thursday, which has a different post each week about something that we're thankful for, and we look forward to hearing from you about what you might be thankful for. And to top it off, Flashback Friday highlights of a previous Christian Questions program from the archives that you might have missed. So we live in an instant society. We want to give you that instant contact so that we can use those instant contacts to plan ahead, to be able to put things in order, to plant seeds in our, our minds so we can deal with the pressures of life that come upon us. And for a young person, Jonathan, what is the pressure point here? With your mind in overdrive, peer pressure disengages your rational self. And that's what happens to a young person's mind. It gets into overdrive, it becomes hard to focus, it becomes hard to think clearly, and you end up falling. And look, it's going to happen. But what we need to do is say, okay, when it does happen, what do we do with it? And again, as parents, what do you do when your child falls into, into peer pressure? And Jonathan, there were, excuse me, there were times raising our children where, you know, as a parent, you know they're heading down a wrong direction. And sometimes I remember having the conversation with Trish saying, look, let's let this happen. Let's not intervene. Let's let them, they're going to fall. They're going to, they're going to get, and, and you know, you don't want them to get, you know, the big, 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 you know, life altering hurt, but allow the hurt that's big enough to get their attention and then show them the lesson with kindness and with compassion and with direction. And it really does work. And that's what God does with us. He lets us fall. So with a young person, sometimes they're going to fall. You help to pick them up with kindness and with compassion and wisdom to show them how to stand again. Proverbs 24, verses 5 and 6. A wise man is strong, and a man of knowledge increases power. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. Listen. The message to the young person is to listen to those in your life who are wise, not those who might be smart, not those who might have the, the best wise crack, 
Not those who you think are most popular, but those who are wise according to godly standards. What's the pressure relief valve here? Well, Rick, remember who you really are and what you really stand for. Focus can overcome fear. Just be sure to create spiritual muscle memory by daily absorbing godly principles. Again, remember who you are as a young person. Remember what you're supposed to be standing for and rehearse it again and again. Spiritual muscle memory. You know, muscle memory saves the lives of soldiers because in the moments of panic and terror, they know what to do automatically. Spiritually, we can be the same way. Because peer pressure is so widespread, it seems like there is an awful lot to remember. There is. So let's get really focused. What is the one thing more than anything else that can shift peer pressure's influence to a godly end? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. As we take our final look at this incredibly difficult matter, there's one thing, one thing that can change things. One thing that, upon occasion, can shift the mood, alter the thinking, and redirect the actions of a group of peers heading down a slippery slope of darkness. The best part is that this one thing is not miraculous or impossible. This one thing, Jonathan, is present in each one of us. And there is great power in this one thing. So let's get to what is this one thing, and we've actually been talking about it through the entire podcast, but let's zero in on it and focus on it because this is a life-changing thing that is within each of us. Let's go back to the sound bites from the Behavioral Science Guys on uh, one simple skill to overcome peer pressure. What's the point here? It's the power of one. We have an innate fear of being shunned by valued groups. When you feel like you're the odd person out, don't stifle your concerns. Simply express them respectfully. It turns out this small dissent can provide powerful permission to the silent concerns of others. Yes, you don't have to risk being an outcast in order to test your concern. You don't have to scream and yell. You don't have to call others names. The quiet, polite expression of doubt can turn the rest of the group from zombies into thinkers. I'm David Maxfield. And I'm Joseph Grenny. What a great way to end this thing. You know, the, the, the polite disagreeing with the group. Polite. You don't call people names. You don't have to go through all of that. But just let them know that there's another way. And oftentimes, there are others who are feeling the same thing, but just not having the courage to do the right thing. And when one person stands up and one person speaks in a kind and polite way, other people so often go to, go to follow what's right instead of what's wrong. Powerful, powerful uh, story. So Jonathan, our, the next scriptures that we're going to review are going to be our review of the whole peer pressure uh, lesson for today. Um, we're going to look at Paul assigning Timothy to take a leading role in the early church as he focused Timothy on not giving in to the pressure of being minimized because he was such a young leader. 
Timothy was a very, very young man. And the Apostle Paul saw great potential in him and put great responsibility upon him. And at one point in these verses, he says, don't let others look down upon you because you're young. Don't, don't, don't fall for that because it's going to be the peer pressure. What do you know? You're such a young man. And he's saying, I know that you have great potential here. Stay with what's most important. So we went through many, many pressure relief valves, didn't we? We did, a ton of them. <laughs> so through this scripture in Timothy, we're going to go back through every single one of those because you can find a place for every one in these verses. We're going to be reading First, uh, first Timothy 4, 1 to 2, 6 to 7, and then 10 through 16. But we're going to start with the first pressure relief valve that we started the, the podcast with. Be upright, clear, and fair in your thinking and actions, even if your feelings may be guiding you now in a different way. Take- Sorry about that. Um, so be upright, clear, and fair in your thinking and actions. Just make, be, set yourself. If you don't feed yourself the right things, you're not going to have the right thoughts. It's really, really simple. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 here. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. So what you see here is the, the idea that uh, it says in latter times, and Jonathan, that brings us to today. That's right, Rick. There's going to be... Talking a, to us. <laughs> yes, yes. There's going to be a lot of falling away. And he's saying, you know, it's because of the hypocrisy of liars and seared consciences. And that's where a lot of peer pressure comes from. Those whose consciences are seared from goodness. And we have to say, look, that's not where I need to be. I need to get my thinking clear and fair, and and that will help to guide my own actions. And Rick, this is talking about Christianity teaching unscriptural lessons. Yes. And and taking us the wrong direction. Yes. So we have to be very careful. And again, when we stand up, you don't have to be standing up with yelling and shouting and name-calling. A polite disagreement goes an awful long way. And in our society, Jonathan, we've forgotten how to politely disagree. We just, we right. just, we just ignore right. that. So the next pressure relief valve is what? The courage of a strong and righteous voice can change the tide. Remember that, folks. And for you young people in the audience, remember that as well. The courage of one strong and righteous voice. And you know what? That strong voice, Jonathan, may come across, you know, the voice may be cracking because it's nervous. It may not be a powerful voice like yours, but it may be a little twitty voice like mine. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The power of the voice is not in the voice. It's in the message. So that's what we need to do. Verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4 is the Apostle Paul telling Timothy exactly that. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith, and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So he's saying to, to, to Timothy, point out these things to the brethren. I'm telling you to be the conduit through which these truths flow. Go do that, and you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. Notice he's not saying they're going to love you for it. No, he didn't say that. And chances are what would happen is because he was so young, they might ridicule him for it. What do you think you know, little boy? You're still wet behind the ears. You know, that, that kind of thing. So he's saying, you're going to be serving Jesus Christ, and isn't that what you are about? So don't forget 
to have that strong and righteous voice because it can turn the tide. Next pressure relief valve that we already discussed, but we're bringing back in this First Timothy scripture where Paul is admonishing this young man, Timothy, to stand up to the things that would be against him. Make God's wisdom your guide through faithful prayer and focus. Okay, make what your guide? God's wisdom, not anything else. Verse 7 of 1 Timothy 4. But have nothing to do with the worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Have nothing to do with all that other stuff. Just put it aside. Your business is higher. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Make God's wisdom your guide. That's what the apostle is telling them. And that's, Jonathan, that's one of the ways to relieve peer pressure, is to make God's wisdom your guide rather than how you feel your guide. It can become a choice, but we have to bring it to that point. Next peer pressure, uh, I'm sorry, pressure relief valve. When we are too afraid to make a public statement, making it more quiet will work. The key is making the statement. Remember, that was the example of Gideon, and I thought it was such a powerful lesson. He did God's will at night because it would have been very, very dangerous during the day, So he, but he did it. And, you know, God didn't look at him and say, ah, you know, how come you didn't stand up out in, in the bright sunshine and, and, and do that? He was blessed because he accomplished exactly what the angel had asked him to do. So sometimes our boldness doesn't have to be this big, bold thing. It can be something quiet. The key is making the statement. Verse 10 from 1 Timothy 4. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So having fixed our hope on the living of God, on, on the living God. And, and through Jesus, we know that God is the Savior through Jesus. Jesus Christ gave himself a ransom for all according to the plan of God. So we look at the two, God and Jesus, and we say, look, this is the statement that we need to make. It doesn't always, it's not always appropriate to say those words out loud, but it is always appropriate to live those words out loud. Dealing with peer pressure sometimes comes through living the words out loud, but making the statement through the way that you live. What's the next pressure relief valve? Be well armed and prepared for the inevitable battle by not only rehearsing what is right and wrong, but why things are right and wrong. Okay. Uh, You know, the idea of knowing what's right and wrong is great, but knowing why they're right and wrong is better. And verse 11 is just a very short verse, but it really nails this down. Prescribe and teach these things. When you prescribe something to someone, they, uh, they're supposed to take it. You know, if you prescribe medicine. You know, when you teach something to someone, they're supposed to learn it. By taking it, by learning it, you're absorbing it. And by absorbing it, you're taking in the why. Scriptural knowledge is useless unless we really understand the why. Because knowledge is going to fall off. See, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is just knowing things and facts and so forth. Wisdom is the application of those things. Peer pressure cannot stand against wisdom. It will crush knowledge, but it can't stand against wisdom. That's where we have to bring ourselves. Godly wisdom 
will crush peer pressure. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. Okay, next pressure relief valve. A strong voice of perspective. Paul was unequivocal in his assessment. All is from God and we are mere instruments. So get over yourselves. Okay, so... Get so, in tune. Get in tune. We're, we're instruments, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Make sure that what we are looking at, what we are doing, how we are doing it, how we're focusing is in tune with God's will. And, you know, the Apostle Paul was a very strong voice of perspective on this because the, the, the Christians in Corinth, in Corinth were saying, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Paulus. Well, I'm of Jesus. So, you know, you're all wrong. And the others are, well, I'm of Peter. So you're all wrong. And, and you know, it was a big mess. And he's saying, stop it. Get over yourselves. Put yourself in the position of the perspective that it's all from God, period. Verse 12 of 1 Timothy 4. Let no one look down on you, your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. And so this is something that my dad used to always say. Uh, not in those words, but he used to always say, you know, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. You know, and, and that's, what, that's what the Apostle Paul was telling Timothy. He was saying to Timothy, be a living sermon to righteousness, to conduct, to love, to faith, and to purity, and you will show yourself an example. And they will not be able to help but follow that example as you follow Christ, because that's what Paul did. So again, we're just instruments in this whole thing. Let's get over ourselves. Let's not be all petty about protecting our little group within the bigger group, because my group is better than your group. You know, that's not what Christianity is about. What's the next pressure relief valve? Stop, think. It only takes a moment to remind yourself of what's important. All right. Stop and think. Again, verse 13 of uh, 1 Timothy 4. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to ex exhortation and teaching. So the apostle says, look, I'm going to be good and I'm going to be catching up with you. But until then, get those with you to stop and think how by the reading of Scripture, uh, to exhortation, to teach them, so they can be in touch with the right things that can battle the wrong things. Because peer pressure is all about the wrong things. And Jonathan, the beautiful thing about this is we can turn peer pressure to be a positive thing that brings people up because now you've got people following something higher and people will want to flock towards that. But we can only do it if you start by being that one strong voice. Let's get to the last soundbite from JW.org, how to stand up to peer pressure. The fourth step is what? Now the fourth step. Take action. No, you don't have to give your peers a lecture. Just say no, clearly and confidently. You may be surprised at their reaction. Each time you take a stand for what you know is right, you get stronger and stronger. And that makes it easier to resist the pressure the next time. Mm -mm. You don't need to be rude, but you could give a reason why you wouldn't want to join in. And if they do keep pressuring you, just remember this. Giving in to peer pressure is kind of like being turned into a puppet with your peers pulling the strings. You can't hide from peer pressure, but you can stand up to it. I love that being turned into a puppet with your peers pulling the strings. Is that what we want? Do you want to be a puppet and not control your own life? Because that's what peer pressure does, and that directly contradicts our own personal integrity. Hebrews 10.24, especially for the young people in our audience. And let us consider 
how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So, you know, we are in a, in a young people's environment, you're, you're oftentimes stimulated to badness, to evil, to unrighteousness, to immorality, things like that. You can be the catalyst to steer others to love and good deeds. You have to just have that voice. It's hard, and it's a process, but if you take the process and steps, you can do this. What's and Rick, that was our subject, our very first subject 19 years ago on our first Christian Questions program. Yeah, that's scripture. Let us consider another, one another to, to stimulate to love and good deeds. Uh, next pressure relief valve, Jonathan. Powerful big picture perspective. See the challenge through God's eyes. And verse 14 and 15 of 1 Timothy 4. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterances with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your process will be evident to all. Take pains with these things. You know, uh, the powerful big picture perspective doesn't come because you want it to come. It comes because you rehearse it and rehearse it and make it part of you day after day, moment by moment. Take pains with these things. Our final peer pressure relief valve, our pressure relief valve, Jonathan, is what? Remember who you are and what you really stand for. Focus can overcome fear. Just be sure to create spiritual muscle memory by daily absorbing godly principles. Spiritual muscle memory. Verse 16 of 1 Timothy 4. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teachings. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Okay, so Jonathan, the last point that the Apostle makes to Timothy is pay close attention to yourself. One of the keys to overcoming peer pressure is to not focus on what they're doing, what they're saying, what they're thinking, how they're acting. What about me? Am I paying close attention to myself, what I stand for, and my own integrity before God? And if so, how should I, how could I react in this situation? Falling to peer pressure can be a choice. Choose to have godly wisdom crush the peer pressure pressure out of your life. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, uh, we'll be back again next week with another topic. But until then, you can overcome peer pressure one step at a time. Till next week, think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Leave us a message at ChristianQuestions.com or through the app. And again, We'll talk to you soon.